Welcome to On Call with Dr. Dave. Today we're talking with Alyssa, who is a nurse, and we were just chatting a little before we started recording, and you've been working in the ER probably for most of your career, but also did some travel nursing, which is a unique thing that we haven't talked to anybody about. What was the first story that just popped into your mind when you started writing or thinking about stories from your career? We live where my hospital that I worked at most of my career, it's along a major highway. And we frequently in the ER get requests for help getting patients out of the car. Happens a lot, not a big deal. But we got a call from the front asking if we could help get a lady out of a semi truck. Oh, that was, yeah, that was new for us. And so anyway, we had two gentlemen who were there. I worked nights at the time and they were like, yeah, we'll go, we'll go get her out. And less than a few minutes later, they come back and we're going to need some help and better yet start gowning up in like personal protective equipment. And they're like, it's bad in there. That's getting interesting now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, what do you mean it's bad in there? And (laughs) so I'll just cover the backstory for you guys is that it was a husband and wife, like a trucker team. And they would just go around the country being truckers. And this lady, they didn't have insurance. Go Mm -hmm. figure. And she got an abscess on her thigh was the impression I got. They don't have insurance. So they're like, we're not going to go to the hospital for this. Mm-hmm. And I guess in the semi, like take a knife, put a flame under it. Oh no. Land. Yeah. <laughs> you oh. know going. Lance it themselves. Oh. And she was laying in like a back cabin. And mm-hmm. I guess she was not getting better. She was just feeling worse and getting sicker. And she, but she refused to go see a doctor. And the husband was like, there's going to be a point when you aren't, you're going to pass out and that I'm taking you. And that happened in my town, right along the highway. So I can see why they chose us. And so this lady in the back cabin of a semi-trailer and passed out. So dead weight. they, They couldn't figure out how to get her out. And with this essentially affected wound. And she'd been laying there for about like a couple days. Oh wow! And it's it smelled heinous. And I got lucky enough to sit inside and essentially wait for her return. But we had almost like half of our ER staff out there trying to get her out of the truck. And we thought for a second, and even both of our doctors were out there, which I thought was fun because that's not generally a <laughs> yeah. uh, role of theirs, but they're, they're both bigger guys. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll go help. And for a while there, we thought we were going to have to call the fire department to get her out. And wow. they somehow managed to just finagle her out. And she got in and this wound was probably from her knee probably all the way up to her rib cage and coming over. And it just looked like a Petri dish. It was so red and had like slime. It smelled awful. You could push on it. And I don't know what would come out like on the other side of her leg. It was bad. It smelled awful. Wow. The smells and the the hot truck and then being in Texas with the heat. Oh my God. It was during the spring. So it was warmer. Oh, it was bad. Needless to say, she was in severe septic shock. And yeah. we ran around trying to save this lady the best we could, but 
it ended up being necrotizing fasciitis. Oh, so then she's doing OR stents and they're cutting out the dead tissue and then it's a massive stay. Massive oh, stay. Man. Uh, unfortunately, by the time, well, one, I remember the OR surgeon coming in and it was kind of funny because I had just been, we had kind of stabilized her enough and I was catching up on charting and he comes in and instantly just puts his hand to his nose was like, what, what is going on? And we're, we were hustling to try to get this lady as stable as we could. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's just trash everywhere in the room. And that's the our prerogative is hustle. We'll clean yeah. up later. And so mm -hmm. he, he comes in holding his nose and why is this place filthy? And luckily <laughs> our, my ER doc saved me and he came in and he was like, we were busy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I ended up learning that she did not make it which is really unfortunate. Oh, that is unfortunate. Um, that. Oh. She was memorable for sure. To me. Yeah. Because <laughs> like yeah. pretty much our whole staff was in that room. Like that... we weren't super busy that night. So we oh. could kind of focus our efforts. But... Yeah. And so I think the moral of the story is don't wait for- Don't wait at all. Yeah, we, we don't, don't wait. <laughs> we don't, we try not to get political at all in this show because we're, we're not going to solve the political issues or healthcare. Yeah. I'm just, as they say, like a lowly country doc. That's the old line <laughs> people use, but I'm not changing policy, but mm -hmm. it is frustrating and it's sad when people have to decide whether or not they can get medical care or not because of money. Yeah, and so totally. my biggest counsel to people is they can't repossess your health. So no. I know you don't want those bills. I know it's going to be horrible. But if you go in earlier, it's going to be a small bill probably and something more easily treated. I remember oh, yeah. somebody called me one time with a family member of theirs and basically described very obvious appendicitis. I said, that's appendicitis. He needs to go to the hospital. And they said, he doesn't have insurance. And I said, he can go now and hopefully be out in a couple of days, or he can wait and he's going to be there for a week or so because it's going to rupture and then it's going to be a much bigger deal. And he was still hoping it wasn't. He didn't take my advice and he waited and then it ruptured. And then, like I said, it took him longer. He's in the hospital longer. It was more expensive stay. Luckily, he pulled through. But we can't repossess your health. Mm -hmm. Get on a payment plan, pay what you can, try to do what you can. But my goodness, yeah. I never want people to decide in between money or healthcare. You just you gotta get you gotta get seen. I think of that woman used like burning her flesh trying to kill that infection or whatever. Heating so, heating up the the knife so the knife would be sterile. So you're yeah, sterilizing yeah. the knife before yes. you cut it. Yeah, I think of that like a hot poker, essentially. Heating up a knife and just lancing your own yeah. like abscess. What a tough lady. Yeah, I mean, that lady was. Yeah, but I don't really recommend spou no. spousal spouse <laughs> healthcare. <laughs> I've seen somebody where this guy he was a welder and he had a couple people pieces of metal go in his eyes over the years, and so he'd gone to the hospital multiple times, and then the eye doctor, the ER doctor, digs a piece of metal out of the front of the eye. And he told his wife this time, he's like, I'm not going to the ER. I know what they do. They just take a little needle. They just pop it out. You, you can do it for me. So he convinced his wife to pop a piece of metal out of his cornea. <laughs> and then she just stabbed him through the eyeball, like straight through the front into the lens of the eye. Then he needed emergency surgery. And I love my wife. She's sitting right here next to me, but she is not coming anywhere near my eye with a needle. So who wants that job? I don't want that job. We are, tr we are trained for a reason. 
Yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to say before we go to the next uh, story is I don't think a lot of our listeners know what necrotizing fasciitis is. Mm, yeah. And so a lot of people on the news, they make it, they call it flesh eating bacteria mm-hmm. and they make it sound horrible. And it is horrible, like flesh eating bacteria, but it's bacteria that basically lives everywhere. It just gets in the wrong place where your body can't fight it. And it has a super highway just to go and destroy your tissue. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep cutting till you get to the end of the infection. No matter how far that infection goes, you have to keep cutting because your body can't clear the infection. Antibiotics aren't going to clear it. Your, your immune system can't touch it. So you cut until you get to healthy tissue. And in large cases, the infection is so spread, you have to do so much cutting and then, as you said, when she came in in septic shock, that even just that by itself is hard to treat. That can be fatal. And so she had two things going on. So come early, come often. We'd rather send you home with a little like antibiotic. Oh, you have a little abscess. We'd lance it and then give you an antibiotic and then you keep on trucking. That's right. And that's generally what we do with abscesses. When mm-hmm. people come in, you just clean it, cut it, drain it. Send them home with some antibiotics and yeah. Yeah, easy to treat. It's not so easy now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a rough story. Yeah. Do you have any others that you thought of? Let me see. I made a list. Yeah. Oh, I love lists. So I, I actually, I was looking and I was like, I better be prepared. There was a older gentleman who had brought in uh, CPR in progress. So ambulance had been doing chest compressions on him when he arrived. Older man. And so... We weren't sure how well he was going to do. And so we worked on him probably for 20, 30 minutes before our doctor called it and said, hey, I don't think any other interventions are really going to do it for this guy. And so pronounced him dead, cleaned up a little bit and pieced out of the room, moved on to whatever was next. And then it was not my assigned patient, but uh, I had helped with the effort. Um, so the nurse who was assigned to it went into that room to grab something, noticed he was breathing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it like even brought somebody in. Am I going crazy? Is this guy breathing? And they hook him up and lo and behold, it's got an EKG. We can feel a pulse. And okay, let's get going. Like he is not dead. And so Whoa. our, our uh, doctor was like, baffled he was like like we worked on this guy for a minute and he nothing revived him then but about 15 minutes later he was back at it and so yeah we sent him up (laughs) up to the stairs i don't know how he fared after that a little bit but he did survive his first efforts wow that's amazing that i've never heard of that it's one of those things that they show it's one of those things they show in movies but it just doesn't happen we don't give up easy we when we're doing CPR, we yeah. give it all we have and there's monitors and there's a lot of ways to tell us if we're doing a good job or a bad job or if they're coming back. And you don't call a code and then just walk out and have the person just decide to come back to life. So That was the one and only time I've even seen it remotely happen. And yeah. I remember wow. they're like, no, he's not dead, guys. Get back in here. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> the same <laughs> person? For a year after that, I would be after every... Oh, are, no. they, are, they, are they back? Are they back? I, I check whenever they're dead. I'm like, are they? I but, check for breathing. But, it ma- yeah. makes me nervous. <laughs> I'm going to come <laughs> back. I'm going to circle back in 15 just to make sure. Make sure yeah. they're gone. Yeah. Pull out oh. your stethoscope every once in a while. Just walk by. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
just being a nervous parent. That's what I did with our first son. Just, you're always so scared of SIDS and that, and so you'd walk by, are they breathing? Are they not that you're watching? And then you're, yeah, put my finger underneath and underneath their nose to yeah, see if I could feel the, yeah, they're breathing. I'd be start doing that with every CPR patient at the very end is the doctor's calling it. I just stick my finger underneath and they're like, sure? okay, yeah, you can call it. Yeah, we're good. Oh yeah. And I don't think he was breathing when they called it. Cause we're like, well, we've been trying nothing. And yeah. Then later they came in and they noticed the breathing and they're like, hold up. And yeah, wow. it was, it was pretty memorable. That is memorable. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great when we bring people back, when you do CPR and somebody comes back to life under your hands, you feel amazing and you feel like just you did your part. But on that one, that dude just came back by himself. Oh yeah, we didn't do anything. <laughs> In I mean, spite of all of you. Yeah, well, I was a fan. Well, Nine lives. Oh my goodness. Well, you kept his. You kept the blood circulating long enough for whatever was happening to yep. figure itself out. Yeah. Oh, you gave him the. T- yeah, you gave, you gave him the time he needed. Whatever, whatever was going on, you gave him that time. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, I brought up a little earlier that you were a travel nurse. Were there any stories that you thought of from travel nursing? I do remember at this particular facility, the front door where you would walk in, if you were like to like park and walk in to be seen in the ER, was on the opposite side of where our ambulance bay was. And sometimes we have people come to the ambulance bay door and knock on it. And we're like, you're <laughs> at the wrong door. Look around. <laughs> it was paramedics had been there. And... They were wrapping up. They had just sent us somebody. We're wrapping up, getting back in their truck when a, a truck pulled in itself and went over the curb. They were in a hurry and they were like, hey, this guy we have, he's not breathing. And so they went to his aid. And so I think it was one of them went to the truck and the other one ran back inside to get some more aid. And when we went out there, no breathing. And so we were like, oh no. And so we literally dragged this guy out of his truck onto a stretcher and start doing CPR while we're wheeling him in. Uh, long story short, we gave him Narcan and he perked right back up. <laughs> and, but then it was hard to convince him to stay because he's, I'm awake now. I'm good. And why am I here? And we're like, no, bro, you almost died. Mm-hmm. Like, like we couldn't feel your breathing. We couldn't find a pulse. Yeah. Like, you need to stay and we need to check on you. Cause he was, it was a young guy. And for the longest time he's like, no, I don't really stay. I'm going to pay for it. And we're like, again, the, Hey, this is a kind of important thing to stay for. And right. But he just thought his life was over from this whole thing. And he was just like, I'm just going to leave in defeat. And if I die, we're like, no, no please like, don't. You, please don't. Hey, we gave you Narcan. Like, we, we might need to do it again. Yeah. So you really mm. should stay because Narcan doesn't last as long as most opiates do. And Narcan mm. is a reversal agent for opioid overdose. We might need to do it again. And so I, I forget. I think finally we got a hold of his parents. He was an adult and they came and they were like, no, you're staying. Good. Okay. <laughs> but for a long time, we were like standing there just to tell him, no, you cannot leave. No, yeah. it's not a good idea. And so I just remember that being memorable. Oh, no. What? I did? No. <laughs> yeah. You, you were, were dead. Tra- <laughs> yeah, bro. You rolled up oh. dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you did. And I oh, saved was- you and I don't want you to die now. So you can't leave until I know you're going to live. Yeah. We're like, we don't advise that. And I didn't, I don't know. I guess like you do have a right as a patient to leave if you would like to just for anybody watching, we don't <laughs> hold everybody. But in this situation, we're like this, I don't think you're in the right state of mind to really no. be making this right. decision. So right. we're going to 
kind of hold you here a little. And, and believe it or not, there's some patients we don't fight when they want to leave. Some patients start oh, no, leaving no, no, no. and we say, oh, no, have bye. You had, have you had any of those? <laughs> AMA against medical advice leaving and you're like, oh, oh so yes. In, in the <laughs> ER, we have many, we call them pre, like frequent flyers. They're there frequently. Mm. Our legitimate concerns are not. Sometimes it's just things that we can't solve there. And so mm-hmm. when they want us to come and fix miracles and we're like, we, we can't do that. Right. And this was not that in this situation, but I had a gentleman. So this was a young guy and he came in with chiropism. And before I'd even gotten there, they had drained it. And mm. so everything's hunky-dory. I went in with our doctor to go and check on him. And he, he asked him, hey, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. And he's great, much better. So I'm doing really well. And he's great. Then we'll probably start getting you out the door. And cool. So I walk out with him. Less than two minutes later, he is called wanting pain medication. <laughs> and I was a little confused because I was. he told us, yeah, I'm great. Yeah. And so I was like, what, what's the deal, bro? And so I go in there and I just, I wanted to clarify with him. I was like, hey, is this, you, you said you were great. Was it really hurting when we first came in or has this started since we were there? Two minutes ago. And <laughs> two minutes ago. And he basically said something along the lines of, you put a needle in my <laughs> penis, of course it hurts. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So it, it just always hurt and you were nervous. And so I was like, cool, I'll go talk to our doctor. And so I got him some pain medication. I come back in and this guy has gotten his, his clothes back on. He has ripped out of his IV. And oh. yeah, he, he's ticked because apparently I was not sensitive enough to the fact that he had this issue of priapism and it hurt. And I guess I was being sassy. Uh, and I was like, right. no, I just wanted to clarify. And I was like, we can still give you this medication. He's like, no, I don't even want it from you. <laughs> and I'm leaving. And literally, I try, I'm not going to wait for, the, didn't even ask the discharge paperwork or anything like yeah. that. And he just stormed out because he was ticked. <laughs> I had the audacity to ask him about his pain. Yeah. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so anyway, so I go and he's shouting and hollering and our doctor, who is his doctor, walks me, what did you do? And I was like, I-, I don't know. I just asked him about his pain. He was ticked. And it looks like, because our you doctor? I was like, oh, well, good job. <laughs> good job. I got him out the door. And so yeah. anyway, so not really... Like leaving against medical advice, but he definitely was ticked off. Also, yeah, I would assume it would hurt. But if you don't say it hurts, how are we supposed to know? And then we've also backed off trying to really ascertain pain all the time, too, with the whole pain's a fifth vital sign and the opioid Mm -hmm. epidemic. We're not really looking to get people pain pills. And so if you're sitting there comfortable... We're not going to think you need pain pills. You know, when people come in, I, I've always hated after surgery, I'd go in to check on the patient and they're talking on the phone and they're eating their dinner and it's, oh, what's your pain level? Oh, it's a 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're having a normal conversation and in a normal tone. I'm not sure it's a 10. So we don't ask quite as much as we used to just because we don't want people overusing opioids as, mm-hmm. yeah. So we don't have another Narcan. Incident. Yeah, we don't like to have to give people Narcan. <laughs> yeah, we don't want people addicted to those things. Well, so. What we can tell from speaking to you for the last couple of minutes, you're definitely super sassy, incredibly oh, disagreeable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being in the ER can do that to you. I'm sure I sound like now, but usually you have to get the sass on with people and tell them what for. 
Yeah. And so <laughs> I use my dad voice. That's yeah, what, that's what I tell voice. people. Mm-hmm. I use my dad voice with patients yep. sometimes too, or it's just sometimes it's angry dad, sometimes it's disappointed dad, but I have to get my <laughs> point across. And sometimes you just have to you, say it yeah. in a way that's going to be heard. I would say that being a nurse, you would definitely you just, it comes with your degree, like the right to be sassy. Like it's one and the same. Here you go. We have to deal with so much bullshit you too. Do. So it's just, you, you do. People Especially come, in the yeah. ER, that is the gateway to your hospital. And anybody can show up to the ER for whatever mm-hmm. they like. And they do all the time. And, and so you have to filter. And so, well, what's more, most important, that's right. essentially what ER nursing is. And emergency room and people don't always agree with your opinion and sometimes i've had to put it really directly and sassy like hey this is how this is gonna go and this is why i'm not concerned about your toe pain right now (laughs) (laughs) real story yeah yeah toenail that was a 20 out of 10 pain so yeah oh 20 out of 10 that's i know Dang. Well, I might have to wait with that 20 out of 10 propane. And yeah, but another against medical voice, I was, I, I remembered it while I was talking to you. This one, yeah, a little bit of a story to it was we had this lady who came in, likely on meth, very kind of erratic behavior. And she was complaining of an abscess, another abscess. This is pretty common in like the meth population or just IV drug use population mm-hmm. in general. One, they don't tend to take care of themselves. And two, like using needles at home is not always the best idea, especially mm-hmm. injecting drugs that aren't necessarily sterile. So she came in with an abscess. And so our doctor went in there to talk to her. And actually, it was a pretty nasty abscess. I did not witness it, but he told us about it later. And he's like, actually, this isn't something I feel like I can just drain and send without antibiotics. I really think she needs to be admitted for IV antibiotics where she gets more antibiotics intravenously than just oral ones Mm -hmm. he said it was that bad anyway this lady i don't know what he said to her but entirely and what way he said it i should really say it but she ended up getting pretty mad at him and didn't feel like he was taking her plight well enough and Mm -hmm. she finally decided too bad i'm gonna leave i don't like how i'm being treated here Mm -hmm. and so okay go ahead well this lady i think was also homeless and so she ended up just hanging it out of our lobby, causing a scene and just yelling about what terrible care she got mm-hmm. and how, how we sucked and don't come here. And so finally she would, they t- told her, Hey, you can't yell like this and didn't listen. Hey, we're going to have to ask you to leave if you do this. Finally, we get to the point where we're asking you to leave, then she won't leave. So then we get our, so we have security for the hospital. They eventually called security or like the police essentially to arrest her for trespassing because she wasn't listening to anything we said. And so generally speaking, if somebody comes in with the police or they're going to jail, they want a, a like medical clearance, which yep. is essentially mm-hmm. saying this patient is okay, okay to go well to- enough to go to jail. <laughs> and so the police come and see the doctor and we're like, Hey, could you sign a medical clearance for her if you saw her? And he was like, Actually, no, like I wanted her to stay in the hospital and she signed against medical advice form saying she didn't want to stay. And so then they were, you could see the like, <laughs> turning in this police officer. He's like, I need this medical clearance. And I can't give so it to you. Take her to jail and he's, I can't give it to you. Like, I wanted her to stay. And 
They're like, how about you hand her the AMA paperwork against my yep. advice paperwork yep. and send her there? She didn't want to be seen. And but yeah, we had the, <laughs> it was, it, they stood there and argued about it for a little while about what they should do. I think they ultimately did take her to jail, but I really wanted her to stay actually. <laughs> if you could convince her. That's funny. So yeah, don't use math. No don't use math. Yeah, don't use math. <laughs> don't use opioids. Yeah. None of those things and get help when you need it. I had a, a patient he, with COVID. I worked during the whole pandemic and uh, I had been endorsed him and young guy and had COVID, wasn't breathing very well. So they had him on hypo, which is the nasal cannula. Mm-hmm. So you get a nasal cannula and it blows air. And this is like a nasal cannula on steroids. And it can blow more specific amounts of oxygen. Mm-hmm. And so it, you can get more accurate and it's more than a nasal cannula can do. And so when COVID was going on, that's what we tended to do for those patients. It's give them this nasal cannula called Hyflo. And so he'd been on that and I got endorsed him. He was already going to go upstairs because he couldn't breathe enough. Yeah. Um, but he was, his saturations, his oxygen saturations were well with that. He was saturating in the 90s. And so we're like, okay, he's doing good. I brought him upstairs and I brought him with a non-rebreather mask. I figured that was probably going to do suffice. And the non-rebreather is like a mask with a bag in front of it. It's supposed to give you like mm-hmm. 100% oxygen. I'm like, he should be fine while we bring him up on the 100% oxygen. Brought him up on the stretcher to his inpatient room. And all he had to do was stand from my stretcher to his bed. And you could tell that this was an effort for him. Mm-hmm. But otherwise he was a young, he was 33, young guy and he was bigger. So I was like, yeah, these, those kind of things are working against you. Um, about an hour after I sent him upstairs, they call a code rapid, which is a, there's a patient upstairs that is rapidly declining. So we're not doing, they're not in respiratory arrest and not like in cardiac arrest, but we could go that way if we don't intervene. And we go up there, breathing is terrible. And Mm -hmm. it's in the seventies with all the oxygen they can get. And so our doctor there was like, you're going to need to be on a ventilator. That's the next step. And she had him call his family to tell him that was what's going to happen. And he basically called and was so short of breath. He couldn't even talk to them. Uh, Our doctor pretty much talked for him because he was so out of breath and she said, Hey, we need to put him on a ventilator. His breathing is failing. And I I was distinctly remember his wife saying, Hey, you need to be strong. You need to fight this. Me and the kids were relying on you. We love you. We need you. Like you you need to fight this. We love you, baby. And you know, I think by that time we had to hang up. And so we put him on a ventilator and minutes later, we couldn't find a pulse. And so then we had to start CPR and we were able to get him back and they sent him up. He had been on a, like a med surge floor. so like lower acuity mm-hmm. and they sent him to ICU. And so intensive care. And I found out from one of the ICU nurses that uh, he ended up uh, losing his heartbeat again. And that time they had not been able to revive him and he passed away. And I just remember, I don't know, that was one of my hardest like COVID patients because he was 33, mm-hmm. which is how old I am now. And I don't know, I just, you know, there's like a wife and kids that don't have 
husband and dad. And I don't know, that was, I think, during the Delta variant. And that one was particularly aggressive, especially. And the hard thing was, is like for people who were vaccinated, like 97% of our hospital at that time was unvaccinated. And so I remember asking, I was like, hey, just curious, why didn't you want it? And there's plenty of reasons why people don't want it. And I had asked him, and I don't know. That was his answer. Just didn't get it. And I, I don't know. I just maybe it would have saved his life. I'm not sure, but I don't know. And I guess they were, his family didn't believe it. They hung up. They, and I don't know. And it just, I was like, maybe, I don't know. That was hard. That does yeah. sound really hard. I, the the feeling I'm getting from you and I'm thinking in my own world, how that would feel is just helpless. Yeah. Yeah, we go into medicine because we want to help and we train and we learn and we do all these skills and we try so hard because we want to help and then to stand there just helpless. All our best interventions didn't do anything. And you just had to stand there and watch that happen. And I can't imagine a harder feeling as a healthcare worker than just feeling helpless in that moment. Oh, yeah, it was rough. And I think my husband at that time was the same age. And I'm like, this could be him. And thankful it wasn't, but it, it just became very real because this was somebody who was like my age mm-hmm. and this was not somebody old. This was somebody young and it was affecting young people. And that was, I think, really devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a reason why post COVID we've lost a lot of doctors and nurses and it's hard to still work in the field because it just affected so many of us so deeply. Yes. And yeah, it's it's also one of those things there was so much politicizing about it and there was so much talk about it. And all we were trying to do is help people. And it was one of those times where we felt like we had zero support from the community or society. And then in the hospital, we were helpless there too. So it was just I I think it just broke a lot of people. I don't think we were meant to go through something like that and come through unscathed. COVID was the hardest part of my career, especially when I think the Delta variant, like I said, was the hardest for me when it was like the Alpha variant when it first started. There wasn't much we could do. Like mm-hmm. we treated it symptomatically. But when the vaccine came out, I'm like, oh, I, I guess I had been so excited for it to come out. I'm like, oh, maybe this will be the end of it. We can move on. Mm-hmm. And Uh, I was one of the first people to get it being in healthcare Mm -hmm. and I've been so excited. And when the Delta variant came suddenly like all these people are not vaccinated. And like I said, I live in Texas. So a a big population of Texas was just not about it. And I I don't know, it was hard because it was just like, here's something that could really work. And and it was hard because a lot of people were basing their decisions off of misinformation um, that even now has been proven untrue. And and I feel like some people died for those beliefs. They're like, oh, I'm healthy. Like, I'm not going to die. And I've seen that not be the case. Or it changes your DNA was something I heard. And I think we pay that there's no physiology behind that. And so, I don't know. That was the hardest thing. So I'm like, there was Mm -hmm. something we can do. And then being in the ER, we were, our hospital was so full. So we had this backlog in the ER and there's so many people coming in. And there was people who legitimately had terrible health problems. Hey, you have gallstones. Like, I'm sure you're hurting or, Hey, you have cancer. And this is a problem. But we had no room mm-hmm. for these people. Cause I'm like, Hey, this, this hurts. And this is an issue, but you can breathe right now. And there's so many people who just can't breathe. And that's 
a big issue. And so it just felt me, it made me feel very helpless because mm-hmm. sometimes they were like, you're not going to help me. Like I have to wait how long? And I'm like, I, I don't want you to wait. I, I really would like to help you, but I just have nowhere for you to go. Mm-hmm. And that was just out. Was some of the hardest for me was just feeling, yeah, just very helpless. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest way to put it. Yeah. And then I, I hope some lessons have been learned, but I'm I'm not optimistic that the right lessons were learned. So if something similar comes in the near future, <laughs> I'm not really optimistic on how it's going to go. I, I think it's yeah, like hard to say for sure, but I'm not sure we came out of it better than we went into it. I'm not sure the next one's going to go any smoother for us, but I've, <laughs> Hopefully there is no next one. Hopefully, I, hopefully we don't have we'll to. be long dead by that time. Yeah. Now. Hopefully we get another so, hundred hundred years. We talking flu about that. And- <laughs> like I would like to live in precedented times, not unprecedented times. I'm done living in <laughs> unprecedented times. Just a nice precedent would be yeah. lovely for a while. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's ever going to be in our. Future. I know, right? Wouldn't I that know. be nice? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate Mm -hmm. what you did during COVID and with your career. I have nothing but love and respect for everybody in healthcare. And I think some of us sometimes need to be a little more sassy with our patients. Mm -hmm. So that point comes across. (laughs) Nobody's more sassy than an ER nurse. (laughs) Nobody gets to be more sassy. (laughs) Thank you. Or are you going to do nursing anymore? I I debated about it for a while and I went on my own sabbatical essentially. Sure. Mm-hmm. I just okay. made it my own. And I have I've dabbled with the idea of maybe not doing bedside nursing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that. I I've I just applied to go back to the ER I was working at Waco and mm-hmm. just as a PRN basis. And so me and my husband, he you saw him earlier trying to mm-hmm. leave. Yeah. He's been in school the whole time. And so I've he's been just a full time student for years. And yeah. So Finally, he's got a job. And so, yeah, it's exciting. Take a break for a little bit. (laughs) I don't have to rush as much to find it. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Hopefully find something that really fits you. Yeah. I don't have any connections in Waco, but if you ever look in, (laughs) if you ever look in Austin, let me know. Yeah. Okay. know a lot of nurses and a lot of practices. So if if it's ever the cards to come here, or if I hear of somebody awesome in Waco, we can get you a nursing job here. quite quickly. Oh, really? Okay. I'll keep that in mind <laughs> right. okay, uh, with the hour commute. That's yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's not fun. That's not. No. So right. Austin traffic. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, when I lived in Chicago, I was living, I was working in the city and I ever, when people say they're from Chicago, they really mean they're from the suburbs. Not, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people who do live in the city, but there's a lot more that live outside. And so mm-hmm. I was living at home because I was a brand new nurse, had a lot of loans. And so I was commuting an hour and a half every day. Ugh, I did that for about two you. years. Yeah. And thank God I was like 23 years old and I could handle it. Because <laughs> now I'm like, I'm 33 and I'm like, I don't think like, I can do that anymore. No, not at all. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank right. you again. Have a lovely night. We'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. Uh, you can just start it from he called his wife. You need to be strong for yeah. me. And then I can edit it from there. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, she had him call his wife and uh, our doctor pretty much talked for him because he was so out of breath. And she said, hey, we need to put him on a ventilator. His breathing is failing. And I, I was distinctly remember his wife saying, Hey, you need to be strong. You need to fight this. Me and the kids were relying on you. We love you. We need you. Like you, you need to fight this. We love you, baby. And yeah, you know, I think by that time we had to hang up 
And so we put him on the ventilator and minutes later, we couldn't find a pulse. And so then we had to start CPR and we were able to get him back and they sent him up. He had been on a, like a med surge floor. so like lower acuity mm-hmm. and they sent him to ICU. And so intensive care. And I found out from one of the ICU nurses that uh, he ended up uh, losing his heartbeat again. And that time they had not been able to revive him and he passed away. And I just remember, I don't know, that was one of my hardest like COVID patients because he was 33, mm-hmm. which is how old I am now. And I don't know, I just, you know, there's like a wife and kids that don't have a husband and dad. And I don't know, that was, I think during the Delta variant, and that one was particularly aggressive, especially, and the hard thing was, is like for people who were vaccinated, like 97% of our hospital at that time was unvaccinated. And so I remember asking, I was like, hey, just curious, why didn't you want it? And there's plenty of reasons why people don't want it. And I had asked him, and I don't know. That was his answer. Just didn't get it. And I, I don't know. I just, maybe it would have saved his life. I'm not sure, but I don't know. And I guess they were, his family didn't believe it. They hung up. They, and I don't know. And it just, I was like, maybe, I don't know. That was hard. That does sound really hard. I, the The feeling I'm getting from you and I'm thinking in my own world, how that would feel is just helpless. Yeah. yeah. We go into medicine because we want to help and we train and we learn and we do all these skills and we try so hard because we want to help and then to stand there just helpless. All our best interventions didn't do anything. And you just had to stand there and watch that happen. And I can't imagine a harder feeling as a healthcare worker than just feeling helpless in that moment. Oh yeah, it was rough. And I think my husband at that time was the same age and I'm like, this could be him. And thankful it wasn't, but it it just became very real because this was somebody who was like my age. Mm -hmm. And this was not somebody old. This was somebody young and it was affecting young people. And that was, I think, really devastating. Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason why post-COVID, we've lost a lot of doctors and nurses, and it's hard to still work in the field because it just affected so many of us so deeply. Yes. And yeah, it's it's also one of those things, there was so much politicizing about it, and there was so much talk about it, and all we were trying to do is help people, and it was one of those times where we felt like we had zero support from the community or society. And then in the hospital, we were helpless there too. So it was just, I, I think it just broke a lot of people. I don't think we were meant to go through something like that and come through unscathed. COVID was the hardest part of my career, especially when I think the Delta variant, like I said, was the hardest for me when it was like the alpha variant, when it first started, there wasn't much we could do. Like mm-hmm. we treated it symptomatically, but when the vaccine came out, I'm like, oh, I, I guess I had been so excited for it to come out. I'm like, oh, maybe this will be the end of it. We can move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was one of the first people to get it, being in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I had been so excited. And when the Delta variant came, suddenly like all these people are not vaccinated. And like I said, I live in Texas. So, a big population of Texas was just not about it. And 
I don't know, it was hard because it was just like, here's something that could really work. And I, and it was hard because a lot of people were basing their decision off of misinformation um, that even now has been proven untrue. And, and I feel like some people died for those beliefs. They're like, oh, I'm healthy. Like, I'm not going to die. And I've seen that not be the case. Or it changes your DNA was something I heard. And I think we pay that there's no physiology behind that. And so... I don't know. That was the hardest thing. So I'm like, there was mm-hmm. something we could do. And then being in the ER, we were, our hospital was so full. So we had this backlog in the ER and there's so many people coming in and there was people who legitimately had terrible health problems. Hey, you have gallstones. Like, I'm sure you're hurting or, Hey, you have cancer. And this is a problem. But we had no room mm-hmm. for these people. Cause I'm like, Hey, this, this hurts and this is an issue, but you can breathe right now. And there's so many people who just can't breathe. And that's a big issue. And so it just felt me, it made me feel very helpless because mm-hmm. sometimes they were like, you're not going to help me. Like I have to wait how long? And I'm like, I, I don't want you to wait. I, I really would like to help you, but I just have nowhere for you to go. Mm-hmm. And that was just, that was some of the hardest for me. It was just feeling, yeah, just very helpless. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest way to put it. Yeah. And then I, I hope some lessons have been learned, but I'm I'm not optimistic that the right lessons were learned. So if something similar comes in the near future, <laughs> I'm not really optimistic on how it's going to go. I, I think it's yeah, like hard to say for sure, but I'm not sure we came out of it better than we went into it. I'm not sure the next one's going to go any smoother for us, but I, <laughs> hopefully there is no next one. Hopefully... I- Hopefully we we'll be to, long dead by that time. Yeah. Now. Hopefully we get another so, hundred hundred years. We're talking about that. And- <laughs> like I would like to live in precedented times, not unprecedented times. I'm done living <laughs> in unprecedented times. Just a nice precedent would be yeah. lovely for a while. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's ever going to be in our. Future. I know, right? Wouldn't that be nice? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate. Mm-hmm what you did during COVID and with your career. I have nothing but love and respect for everybody in healthcare. And I think some of us sometimes need to be a little more sassy with our patients. Mm-hmm. So that point comes across. Yes. <laughs> and nobody's more sassy than an ER nurse. <laughs> Nobody oh, gets to be, to be more sassy. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.